and welcome to We Are History. We're back with another vital, crucial bit of British history. <laughs> I'm sure you would have all done this from day one in school. This is something that I'd vaguely heard about, but right. Angela, Angela Barnes, my co-host on We Are History, this is concrete. This is Cold War. <laughs> this is right into your comfort zone. Oh, yeah. What is it, I saw your face fall when I suggested this as a topic. And I was like, no, bear with me, John. It's meaty. And you went, how much is there to say about this? Yeah, well, it's basically, it's Sealand, which is a a concrete metal platform. If I could stop you there, John, it is the Principality of Sealand. The Principality of Sealand. We're going to get on to explain (laughs) what that is. But it's basically a World War II abandoned fort in the Thames Estuary Stroke North Sea which was occupied, declared yep. an independent country yep. by a very eccentric chap. And he sort of got away with it for, for yeah. decades and decades. And much, you know, there's much to say about it. And I take it back completely, Angela. I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> when I thought, is there much to say about a rusty old fort in the North Sea? There's lots to say. It's hilarious. To the point where we can't even cover it all in this episode. There's so much. And the story is so bonkers because John and I both read the same book about it and John you've got the book there I have it's called Sealand the true story of the world's most stubborn micronation by Dylan Taylor Lehman the guy Roy Bates picture of his 16 year old daughter clutching a couple of hand pistols uh, pointing (laughs) them at whoever comes near Sealand it's you know I mean this is a story that's got it's got royalty murder espionage teenagers with Molotov cocktails pirate radio fire theft Nazis UFOs and cockles. So, yeah. um, you know, just when you think the story couldn't get madder, it got madder. Angela's going to be leading on this one. What yes, is what is what, the, what is the structure, Angela? Tell us so, how that came about. So, you may have seen these. They're called Monsal Sea Forts. There's lots of them across the coastline. And the way I can describe it, it's like two big concrete posts with a 51 by 27 metre platform across the top. So it looks like a table, I suppose. So that's like the size of two ta- tennis table, tennis, no, ta- uh, pro- table. tennis courts, not table tennis. <laughs> table would, tennis courts. No, tennis courts. <laughs> table tennis, that would have been really tricky. Yeah, yeah, you could get your whole family yeah. on that. Yeah. So in 1942, what is now Sealand was built and it was called Ruff's Tower. So these were built in World War Two, And they were sort of, there was lots of these fortifications in the, the coast built by Guy Mansell, Monsell, I don't know. M A U N S E L L. Yeah. And this one was called Ruff's Tower and it was in the Thames Estuary and it was essentially a gun platform. And this particular one was built to protect the port of Harwich, vital economy, exporting stag do's to Amsterdam by ferry. So that was, that was crucial to the British economy. Crucial in, in that time. So. And they put hundreds of Navy personnel on them, didn't they? Mm-hmm. And you'd go a bit mad stuck on this fort. So the, the concrete legs were the accommodation, the dormitories. You know, you'd be stuck there. And the, the rumours were that if you were a bit naughty on, on land mm. and you were getting girls pregnant in Essex, they'd put you out on the seafloor. and the that would, yeah, get you out of trouble. And one bloke, you know, hated it so much there. They said there was a sort of fort madness from being on this thing. He jumped into the North Sea and drowned uh, in despair rather than to spend any more time on this bloody thing. Um, right. So that's the sort of context of what they were for in the Second World War. And they were left there, yeah. abandoned in 1956, left to decline, too expensive to demolish or to repair or anything. That's right. So these massive structures were just left to sort of rot in the North Sea. And honestly, John, why not? Because what could possibly happen? <laughs> what harm could they possibly do? Well, for a start, pirate radio came along in the 1960s. I, I've just seen in my notes a terrible joke that do I wrote it, Angela, at that Do point. your terrible I'd, joke. I'm not... <laughs> I, I've said pirate the... radio... <laughs> happened and they took over the R waves. It doesn't even work. It doesn't even work. I I declared the jape of the season. (laughs) I I just, I don't know what I was thinking when I put that in writing in my notes. John, it's been a very busy week and I'm very tired. That's that's the only excuse I've got. Yeah, because the BBC Um, back then had a monopoly, didn't they, on music. And so it's very hard for us to imagine now that you just couldn't hear pop music if you were a young person in the 60s. It was the early 60s. It was like... Radio 1 didn't exist, though did play some pop hits, but replayed by the BBC Orchestra. So Just to like, make it more acceptable. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I love the new Beatles song, I want to hold your hand. So it's like, we played like, sort of like, you know, classic <laughs> rock or something. It must have been awful. Unless you went out and bought the records yourself, yeah, you had no it. means of listening to new music. It was very difficult to get 
So that's when pirate radio became a thing. The first was Radio Caroline, famously, in 1964, which was broadcasting from a ship off the coast of Essex. Named after? Who? Caroline Kennedy, daughter of the president. Really? Yes, I, I didn't I'd just know that. that. Yeah. Just, do continue, Angela. They're all influenced by Radio Luxembourg and various yeah. American stations. Because obviously in America, you had independent radio stations that yeah. were playing all this stuff. Yeah. At this point, let's introduce a gentleman by the name of Roy Bates. Paddy Roy Bates. Paddy Roy Bates. Now, Roy Bates, he was a, a sort of old-fashioned British hard nut. Yeah. Is how he'd, been a, so he'd, he'd been an officer in the war, hadn't he? He'd, he'd been an officer in the war. He dropped out of school in South End to fight in Spain. Crucially, on both sides. On both sides. <laughs> Just wanted to fight, John. Exactly. It's like, right, which side are you for? I don't care. I want to shoot someone. (laughs) I think if he was alive today, he'd be the one in, you know, Basildon on a Friday night going, come on, who wants some? (laughs) Yeah, except I think he's sort of, yeah, except he's officer class, which is weird. Except officer class. Yeah, yeah. Um, So he was a World War II hero. He met his wife, Joan, at a dance in 1948. She was 18. She was a model. She was beautiful. After six weeks, they got married and they stayed married, John, until Roy passed away. They were married for 60 years. Wow. After the war, he came back and he did the nine to five. He worked for a poultry company, but he wasn't really designed for the nine to five, Mm -hmm. John. So what he did, he bought himself a fishing boat. Um, Having known nothing about fishing, really, or, or the industry. But he bought himself a fishing boat and he started a white weed business, which white weed was like um, it was like coral that you could take out of the water and dry. And it looked like a plant that people would use and it didn't require any maintenance or stuff. So anyway, for flower arranging or business, something. For flower arranging or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, or some one shit. Of those things. Now, he's one of these men who just have lots of different business ventures, you know? Yeah, not, yeah. We'd call them an entrepreneur, it's I sort suppose. of Yeah, like George Cole in Minder, you know. Exactly. Arthur Daly, Arthur Daly. He's always got something on the Of course, John, go. anyone under 40 has <laughs> no idea what you've just said. Sorry. <laughs> but then again, do we have any listeners <laughs> we under do. 40? We do. Our producer is 25. <laughs> yeah, but he's only listening because we pay him to. <laughs> so he had lots of business ventures. He had a chain of butcher shops, um, an estate agency. He uh, imported latex from Malaysia to manufacture swim fins. Wow. He really had his fingers in a lot of pies. And his wife, Joan, was very loyal and sort of supported him in all his madcap ideas. Apparently the only time she really put her foot down when he suggested they move to Kenya and buy a farm during the Mau Mau uprising. Right, I can see she <laughs> might have had a point there. At that point she went, Do you know what? I don't think so. Now they had two children. Uh, Penny was born in 1949 and Michael in 1952. And Roy was said to run the family like an army barracks. He was quite a harsh right. father, I think. It's like the family now, von Trapp. <laughs> exactly like that. Learn his whistles. And... <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about Ruff's Tower, this tower out in the yeah. industry. Now, like I said, there were several of these. And there was another one called Knock John. Knock so John. same, exactly the same design, this yeah. big concrete tower out in there. And in 1965, him and his son, Michael, who was then 12... They decided to take their boat, their fishing boat, and go to Knock John and have a look around. Right? Okay. So they, they get onto this decaying platform. Yeah. And that's when Roy Bates has another one of his brilliant ideas. He yeah. says, let's start a pirate radio station on it. Right, right? let's take to the so, R away, um, as said. <laughs> You're never going to let me forget that, are you, John? <laughs> never. Now, Radio City, who were a pirate radio station, they also had plans to do the same thing. So they had sent engineers to the fort already to prepare it. But Roy, he'd already bought a mast. So he's like, right, well, they're not having it. I'm having it. So he gathers this ragtag band of local 'er (laughs) ne'er-do-wells from Essex. They get on the fort... And they basically rough up the guys that were there. So there's a fight. These guys are like, oh, obviously they leave. Yeah. So he leaves his two teenagers there. Right. Not his children, two teenagers from their ragtag bunch of villains. Whatever. Basically leaves them there as flags sort of to mark his territory. Right. And so the Radio City crew eventually get ejected. And Roy goes back, throws a rope ladder up declares he owns the fort and that's that right wow so the first fort he takes over is this one called knock john okay and he's got very cheap equipment absolutely zero skills in radio production but 
He starts Radio Essex. Radio Essex. <laughs> almost certainly how the jingle went. The government were not wild about these um, pirate radio stations, were they? No. Taking over uh, frequencies that might be needed for emergency services and basically cocking a snook at uh, a Whitehall. There's a pretty mm-hmm. terrible film about it. I don't know if you ever saw it called The Boat That Rocked. It was, I've heard about it, but I yeah, it was a Richard Curtis it, yeah. screenplay, but it was not his best work. But yeah. that's really about Radio Caroline and how these guys were all uh, playing rock and roll and being groovy and young. Tony Benn was the postmaster general, and he was the one who had to cover the legislation to stop these broadcasts. And he brought in the Marine Broadcasting Offences Act was introduced. Yeah, the House. you know, these weren't just a load of hippies out on boats. These were thugs running these operations. Some of them, yeah. You know, yeah. Some of them. Yeah. And I think the Marine Broadcasting Offences Act was brought forward after one pirate radio boss was murdered by another. Right. At that point, it was like, do you know what? I think we need to do something about this. Yes, okay. So that act was brought in in July 66. And in September, Roy Bates was charged with unlawful use of an apparatus for wireless telegraphy. And now he was found guilty because the tower he was on at that not, time, not John. John. Yep. Was within territorial waters, which at that point I think was three, three, three nautical miles, miles from yeah. the coast. You're still in territorial waters. Yeah. So he was fined £100. However, not one to be set back, our Roy Bates. He was like, OK, well, I'm in territorial waters here. But over there, there's right. this other tower, Ruff's Tower. Yeah. And that is six nautical miles yeah. from the coast. So that's not in territorial water. So if I go over there... They can't touch me. Seems logical. Absolutely. So his plan is he's going to ditch Radio Essex on this tower. He's going to take all the equipment out to the other tower. And he's going to start a new station called Britain's Better Music Station. BBMS. <laughs> it does what it says on the tin. However, like before... Other people have already had that idea. Yeah. So Ruff's Tower has already been squatted by other pirate radio interests um, the year before. Investors have put loads of ideas forward about things to do with this tower at this point. And investors included the Rolling Stones, Beatles, all sorts of people had sort of put money and things to do with this tower. They, a mushroom farm was uh, suggested, a uh, health resort. None of these things ever I mean, We should before. say that this is the grimmest location. The idea of a health resort or a spa out in the North Sea on a metal tower with the waves crashing around underneath you. It's, it's you nuts. say grim, John. I say beautiful. <laughs> you, say, okay, you say concrete, Cold War. Yeah, you uh, you see... know, I cannot say anything negative about a lovely big concrete structure. There is beauty in ordinary things. There is beauty in ordinary things. So Radio Caroline, who've got their boat off the coast of Essex as well, yeah. they're using Ruff's Tower as a sort of place to keep supplies. Right, so they don't have yeah. to keep coming back as a sort of Base stop camp between. Sort of thing, yeah. Exactly. So it was being used at this point. And Radio Caroline had started to prepare it to be occupied to broadcast from. But at the end of 1966, Roy Bates gets together his ragtag <laughs> bunch of ne'er-do-wells yeah. from Essex again. They dismantle everything on the tower they're on. And they make plans to take over Ruffs. And at 10 o'clock on Christmas Day that year, Roy and his son, Michael, they pull up alongside it in the boat with the equipment and they stormed the deck armed with iron bars. (laughs) Happy Christmas, everybody. (laughs) Happy Christmas. (laughs) Just as the Caroline crew are sitting down to the turkey and the green They come in with their iron bars and smash the thing up. Eventually, the, the Caroline crew acquiesce slightly. They have this sort of truce where the two crews decide to work together to make the tower sort of habitable for for radio broadcast so sort of caroline go well we'll have this bit of a tower you have that bit of the tower and that didn't last for very long because eventually one of the caroline crew got injured so the others took him to shore for treatment so they left the tower at which point Roy's like it's mine now he can't come back they made a few attempts to take it back so what did he do for security Angela what was was a sensible (laughs) parental plan for security (laughs) on this the first thing they did was they put old tanks and bits of metal on the edge of the fort just any old scrap bits of dangerous metal they could find they lined it up around the edges of the door. Right. So if anyone approached in a boat, they could just push it And maybe kill them. them. And maybe kill them. <laughs> but his main line of defence, John, and I think when I explain this to you, you'll see what a reasonable action it was to take, is he got his 14-year-old son to guard the tower armed with Molotov cocktails. Right. This is a boy um, who was supposed to be at boarding school. He was supposed to be at boarding school. He'd come home for the Easter holidays and basically went, 
I don't really like school. I prefer it here. And his dad went, that sounds like a good plan because you can then guard the tower from right. attack. With homemade and, uh, Molotov cocktails. Here's a couple of guns and some Molotov cocktails. <laughs> Off you go, you 14-year-old. Um, <laughs> different they times. They did things it's as different. well. I mean, now, these days, health and safety gone mad. You wouldn't Absolutely. be allowed to give a 14-year-old a load of Molotov cocktails <laughs> and leave them on their own. Your political correctness now. Absolutely. So they, they, one of my favourite things they did, they painted on the side of the fort, danger electric fence, 10,000 volts. Wow. Um, which, of course, wasn't true, but who's going to test that when you're surrounded by the North Sea? Absolutely. So I'll just test that and see if that works. So there were lots of raids, weren't there? People did try and raid the place. They absolutely did, yeah. And uh, a quote from Roy Bates said, they came in foreign-looking boats, rather like Dutchmen, armed with guns and knives. Some tried to swim with snorkels, but they were spotted and given short shrift with a flamethrower. <laughs> oh, my God. This is all, like, bought from the army surplus shop, you know, in town, in Chelmsford or whatever. It's like... <laughs> so, yeah. I think also he was a very sort of practical man, so he was making these weapons. You know, it was quite... Um, yeah, okay. Okay, right. Make your own flamethrower. That's the little yeah. project with your fourteen-year-old son. What should we do this afternoon, Dad? CDT, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> so the government so, weren't wild about this, were they? The various government they departments happy. were like, oh, "We've got to stop this." Harold Wilson, the Prime Minister, was kept abreast of it, and um, you know this was a problem because there were violent attacks, you know, against raids. Were seen as cock and a snook at the British mm, government. Yeah. But the, crucially, this fort wasn't in territorial waters, so even though. Britain had built it outside its own territorial waters. This was in wartime and sort of no one had really stopped to think about that. But now yeah. in peacetime, this thing was still there. It's rather a grey area about whether Britain had authority over it or not. Well, um, that's it. I think that authorities thought we need to get this man off this thing, but we actually don't really know where we stand because it's not do we, do we just in our blow territory. It up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they yeah. considered it. There were documents that were released where they considered blowing it up, but Roy Bates was never going to leave that tower unoccupied so right. there was always a child on it so they couldn't just blow it up blow it. they wouldn't exactly right, because they correct. weren't as mad as him exactly <laughs> yes. exactly so they, they had a different approach didn't they They'd come up with some softly softly british that's our chap with the old chap thing you know well before that they thought they could use this marine broadcasting offenses act to, yeah. uh, to come into fruition because his plan to be there was to have a pirate radio station yeah. but he'd put a spanner in those works by actually never broadcasting because right. he couldn't get an antenna big enough on the oh, fort okay. so, so he just sort of um, it. so he just sort of abandoned the idea of the radio and just occupied it yeah exactly so yes like you say they decided to go for a more softly softly approach to get him off the tower they called it operation callow Harold Wilson signed it off himself. Right. And the idea was that because they had the tower, they didn't live full time on the tower. No, they they, would, they, uh, they had they, a house in South End. But they kept it occupied. There's always one person on the tower. Yeah, Always one person on the tower. And often the whole family was yeah. there. So they decided that while Roy was at his house in South End, a government agent would drop by for a lovely chat with him, gentlemanly discussion, maybe even offer him some cash. Yeah. Because uh, after all, who wouldn't turn down cash for something they didn't even own, right? Yeah, yeah. Go, oh, it's not even mine, really. I'll take the cash. Yeah. Now, crucially, in the operation, they did not sanction the use of any firearms or violence or anything. It was just going to yeah. be a reasonable discussion between two gentlemen. Good luck with um, that. <laughs> good luck with that. Because what essentially happened, I think, is um, Roy Bates went, okay, yep, yeah, I'll have 100 grand for it. And they went, we're not giving you that much right, money. Right. <laughs> and he went, well, then you're not having it. Yeah. And that was pretty much as far as it went. At the same time as this was happening, customs and excise were having continual battles with... So another sort of attack on, on Roy, because he had this fishing boat still. Yeah. And he would often do trips, you know, so, between the tower and home. And, so, and so get him on that. Get him on, get him on that. So customs were forever storming his, his boat. boat. So right. in the end, what he did, though, because he'd left his children on the tower. So you had 17-year-old Penny yeah. and 14-year-old Michael, Michael yeah. on the tower. Because Customs kept stopping his boat with supplies, he basically alerted the press, Roy, and said, uh, Customs are letting my children starve on the tower. Yeah. They won't let me go there with the supplies. So Daily Mail comes over with a helicopter, photographs, you know, exactly. front picture of... You know, teenage girl pointing pistols, and it's like it's all it's great the one copy. on the front of the book. Yeah, it's an yeah. incredible image. Yeah. Just, and do you know what's really funny about that is um, Roy got really angry at that photo, not because they'd taken a photo of his daughter with pistols, but he got angry with his daughter because he said she was holding the pistols wrong. That's right. I taught you how to hold a pistol. You don't have your finger on the trigger. You put That's your finger right. on the trigger if you're going to shoot. It's like it's like stop really the point, Dad. Because uh, with his kids on the island or his son on the island, the Royal Marines blew up 
another tower in viewing. Yeah, one of the other forts. One of the other yeah. forts uh, in viewing distance of roughs. But the stupid press printed that roughs had been blown up. Uh, the, yeah. with the photos and and Roy was like into a sudden panic because he thought his son was on this tower that the Marines had blown up. That's it. Well, I think the plan was we'll blow up one that they can see and, and the then idea. they'll see that we're into blowing up yeah. these towers. But like you say, the, the press printed that they'd blown up Ruff's tower and Roy was in Essex reading the paper knowing his kids were on that tower. Because that's good parenting. Because it's good parenting. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> so at this point, this is when... In August 1967, all this has been going on. And there's these, all through this year, there's these repeated raids of people trying to get him off the tower. Yeah. So he's like, right, I need to find a way that I can stay on the tower. And he comes up with this idea with his lawyer he talks to about how he can declare Ruff's Tower to be his own country. Now, this is, uh, well, do you know where they have this conversation, Angela? Do you remember that from the book? In the, was it in, in the pub? pub in the it? pub. Yeah. Of course it's in the pub. You go, I've had a few beers. You're sitting around <laughs> going, I'll tell you what we should do. What? We should make it our own country. I mean, my dad and my brother and me used to get the pub all the time with my mum. And we'd come up with the stupidest ideas after about third, the third pint. And the next morning we'd go, what were we talking about? But this guy, he goes, tell you what, we'll make it our own country. We'll declare independence. And then next morning they went, this is still a good plan. <laughs> well, to, to be fair, his lawyer at first said... Well, I don't think the Crown are going to let you do that. Right. I don't think they're going to let you get away with that. But he says, I'll go away. I'll do the reading, Roy. Of course. And he does. And he comes back, his lawyer, and sort of goes, well, actually, now I've done the reading, there are several reasons why this isn't such a stupid idea, right? Or why you can do it. So for a start, Britain had violated international law by building it in international waters in the first place. Right. right. So they couldn't lay claim to it. And also, because it wasn't in their territorial waters they'd be breaking international law if they took it down because it's oh, okay. not, there. not theirs to take down okay to take down secondly there's something called dereliction of sovereignty so because they abandoned it after the war just to let it rust yeah at that point britain relinquishes any claim on the territory right, right? and according to international law territories that don't have defined ownership are no man's land right right terra um, terra terra nullius did you notice I didn't say that because I thought I'd let you pronounce it because I was worried Terranulius. I was going to it Terranulius. 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 Finally, Ruff's Tower, it could be said to fulfil the requirements of the 1933 Montevideo Convention, right? Which states that the state as a person of international law should possess the following qualifications, right? So to be a, country. a, state, a sovereign state, yeah. you need A, a permanent population, B, a defined territory, and C, a government, and D, the capacity to enter into relations with other states. Okay. And the lawyer was like, And also, I feel like I could fulfil that in my flat. Right. <laughs> well, that's sort of what he was doing, though. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the lawyer had come back and said, okay, I can't actually see any reason why you can't do this. Okay. So at that point, they decided he would declare it a principality. Now, they went for a principality, not for vanity reasons, not just so he could be Prince Roy and she could be Princess Joan, although right. they are the titles they had. Um, Princess Joan. Princess Joan is great, isn't it? And Prince Roy, it's like having a Prince Nigel. Sorry, any Nigels listening, I love Nigels. Apart from um, Farage. Apart from, oh, apart from the obvious, yes. The reason they decided to make it a principality because they, they didn't have the time or manpower to build a political infrastructure. That would have taken too long. Okay. So just declare it a principality. And that way they don't have to worry about that. So, so this is the situation we're in now, John. We now have the sovereign state. Of Zealand has declared independence. Did he, did he hold a press yeah. conference or something? Or did he just set, send a letter to the local paper? They had a party. Um, right. They raised a flag on the tower and declared the Principality of Zealand. And we'll come back to more of that later. We could take a little break, John, because um, yeah. I'm just going to go and declare a principality in my living room. Okay, Princess Angela. Princess Angela. Always got a ring to it, hasn't it? It has, it has. I like it, yeah. yeah. And we'll come back and find out if the British government went, yep, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Speak to you in a minute. See you in a bit. Hello, welcome back. We are talking about the Principality of Sealand, John. Now an independent um, country, it says. It they says. claim. So I think at this point it's worth talking about 
sort of other micronations and these crypto countries and precedents for this sort of thing. Because um, they're not the first people to declare something yeah. a sovereign state, which has been questioned. Famously, in 1856 in America, they in, <laughs> instituted the Guano Islands Act. Have you heard about this? No, I've never heard about this. So Guano is basically bird and batshit. Um, which is quite a good mascot for this episode. We could have, a, we could have that could be our logo, a bird and bird batshit. and batshit. So guano is a good fertilizer, but it's also used, or it was also used, in the production of gunpowder. Right, so right. it's quite a valuable thing. This bird shit. Um, so the US made the law in 1856 that any US citizen right. could lay claim to any island in the world with guano deposits, as long as they weren't claimed within the jurisdiction of another government. Wow. So any unclaimed bits of rock in the sea or whatever, any US citizen could claim them as wow. their wow. land. And that's still part of US law today. That's amazing. That's, that that's crazy. Yeah. There's lots of reasons for starting micronations. Various, some people might remember there was a TV show in, I think it was about 2004, Danny Wallace, the comedian Danny Wallace, did a show um, called How to Start a Country. Right. Uh, where he looked into all this stuff. So that's where I think it's on YouTube if you want to have a look at that. But the reasons for starting micronations vary. So some have been started as a sort of theoretical experiment. Yeah. Um, it might be a political process. It, and more often than not, it's to conduct some criminal activity. So to, you know, have a tax haven or to have yeah. a place where you can do criminal activity unchecked. Okay. So there's a few of these places. There's Boldonia off Nova Scotia, which was a sort of just a rich bloke decided oh, really? to start a country. There was a little island in between Canada and Greenland, which is still, which is not, this is actually slightly different, but this is disputed between Canada and Greenland. It's just mm. an outcrop. And uh, uh, this is how nice countries have wars. Canada go out there, they raise the Canadian flag and leave a bottle of Canadian whiskey for the Danish blokes because then these danish blokes come take down the canadian flag and leave a bottle of schnapps for the uh, <laughs> and they just do this back and forth eternally but that's how the dispute just keeps going back and forth between it's green sort and of a tradition of. now it's a little yeah, yeah. Nice. britain has its own little outcrop in rockall way mm. out in the atlantic which is if you look at the territorial waters of if you look at the territorial waters of britain there's a great big bit jutting out off uh, the northwest coast of scotland and uh, that yeah. is because they claim the territorial waters around Rockall, which is just a great big, well, like, like it says, it's just all rock, covered in yeah. gannets and probably loads of guano as well. Oh, yeah, it's about 60 foot, isn't it? It's... Yeah, it's not much to it. You get yeah. sort of, occasionally you get sort of some, you know, David Attenborough there saying, these gannets produce millions of tons of guano. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was claimed by the UK in 1955 to stop the Russians using it uh, to spy on our first nuclear missiles. Um, mm. I'm surprised someone hasn't climbed on there and declared it independent as well. But yeah. So well, now you told people about it, John, they might. Especially Mrs. now you told them there's guano deposits. The Americans will be Americans on it like, like a, a shot. shot. Now for Roy himself, being the entrepreneur that he is, what started yeah. as a bit of a fuck you to the government. Yeah. He suddenly had his entrepreneur hat on. He's like, this is a potential business venture. Yeah. And he saw lots of opportunities for having your own sovereign state in the middle of the North Sea. For example, you know, for tax-free company registration, to set up TV companies, all sorts of things that he thought yeah, of doing. I mean, and A bit like we have with the Cayman Islands or with, you know, uh, Isle of Man or whatever. You know, you could have yeah. register things and didn't have to pay tax or whatever. That's right. So his idea was that, the Principality of Sealand eventually had this vision of maybe linking it with other forts to increase the territory. So these other forts that are still dotted about in the sea, that they could become one big... Micronesia sort of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Sort of yeah. archipelago of concrete. Of oil oh my God, this sounds like my heaven. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, you know, this is where you've got to retire, Angela, oh. one day with, a, with all the money we make from this podcast. <laughs> oh, John, that's oh, the funniest thing you've said Did you so get, I got some money through, Angela. I got a hundred quid through. So that's 30 <laughs> podcasts. That's that's working out as over three quid a time. I'm like Roy Bates, I am, making money out of this broadcasting. Oh, mate. It's a good job we don't spend ages researching it for no, that exactly. money, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All week. Yeah, I did this football podcast and he did this big thing promoting beer. And it's a, he was a sponsored... It was a good podcast, actually. It's called uh, Life Goals with Theo Delaney. But he did a whole thing at the top, 10 minutes, talking about you can get your free sample of beer, get your free beer, and there's all this stuff. I'm thinking... We could do that, but it's just like, I can't yeah. be bothered to organise it, Angela. And it's like, if there's anyone I... listening who's got something they want us to flog, <laughs> yeah, we'll I'll flog go... it for freebies. We'll yeah. do that. We're not, we're not beyond that. We're Volvo not. for sale, one careful owner. <laughs> 
Sorry, Angela, do continue. I'm going <laughs> off. Going off piece oh, On September the 2nd, 1967, Princess Joan's 38th birthday, they hold this ceremony, raise the white, red and black sea land flag, which I expect we will tweet a picture of yeah. when this goes out, and they declare that Independence Day. Yeah. Can you imagine being one of Roy's mates, how pissed off they'd be? Like, it was her birthday <laughs> and she gets... To be a princess. Yeah, all her friends are saying to their husbands, what are you getting me for my birthday? Why can't you make me a princess? Why can't I have my own country? Exactly. Um, They had a Latin motto. I'll let you do it, John. Imare libertas. Beautiful. Yes. I've never Uh, studied Latin. It means from the sea, freedom. Okay. Yeah, but you're a posh white bloke, so you've got the confidence (laughs) to say this. I'll just say it as if I know it. (laughs) Now, to get from their home in Essex to... The fort. It was quite an arduous journey. Yeah. The family would regularly have to. It took five hours to get there from their home in Southend. Um, they didn't seem to have a car, John. So what they would do, the... they would get all the supplies, get a bus to where their boat was kept. Okay. The Mizzy Gell, their boat's called, by the right. way. And then with all the supplies they could carry on the bus and then sail out. And they'd have to go sort of down the river and then yeah, out yeah. to sea. And it yeah. was quite a, a, a sort of arduous Torture. journey. And yeah. then... When you got to the fort, the waves I mean, if you look at pictures down, of this, yeah. you're in the middle of the North Sea, these up and down waves. And you're trying to the grab way... onto a fucking rope ladder. To a rope ladder. That's <laughs> the only way of getting up there. And they had to get their supplies on. They just had a like this rope that they just had to tie the yeah. supplies. And then it's like, what's for dinner, Dad? Well, there's a fishing rod. Catch it, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, they, w- they would fish off the platform. And it was the cold. I mean, Joan Bates talks a lot about the cold on there, that they would often faint with the cold. I've the made you a princess. We have a second home and I've made you a princess. <laughs> the reality was a bit grimmer. I mean... They eventually made it more homely because the big concrete legs had rooms in them. That's right. Sort of. So they but made no, them no a bit No windows more or anything. I mean, Oh, no, no, no windows. No. Don't be fussy, John. Come but on. The, but, but the fort was under threat the entire time, wasn't it? Because it was, you know because of mm. uh, uh, its potential. So they had to, not only was it freezing cold, they had yeah. to keep guard the entire time and have people on yeah. the watch. A member of family members took turns to defend it and be on lookout. And Joan carried a .38 pistol at all times. Princess yeah. Joan. Princess, Princess Joan of Joan. Essex. She'd sleep with it under her pillow. Yeah. And the attacks did come about, didn't they? Tell they us about did. That. They did. There were people trying to raid the fort, it's worth saying, but there were also some attacks that were more sort of perceived attacks. Um, so, for example, there was a naval minesweeper that was on a depth surveying mission yep. and it got within 100 feet of the fort. So that's quite hard to say, 100 feet of the fort. Right. And so Michael, the son, who yeah. at this point is about 15, I think, yeah. um, he starts firing warning shots at what naval are you doing, minesweeper. Son? Just firing at the British Navy, just firing guns. Uh, okay. oh, all right, carry on. <laughs> so basically he's on this fort and he's just shouting at this naval minesweeper to go away but probably in fruitier language and he fires warning shots across the bow so i mean this is a problem for the government right because at this point they've got this mad family on this for shooting at their vessels yeah Um, but the question of jurisdiction is still complicated so again, they're still looking at this point at more clandestine ways of taking back the fort, like yeah. maybe trying to get one of the people who work there, because they'd have people come and do maintenance yeah. work and stuff on the fort, maybe get one of them to turn on the family or something like that. Yeah, they tried yeah. it with, there was a guy called Belasco who he worked with Bates in the private radio days and he colluded with government officials and he agreed to do a non-violent takeover on behalf of the government. Okay. Um, but the raid never actually happened. And uh, later on, an expose appeared in the Telegram about this raid that was planned and totally put public opinion back on side with the Bates. They well, were that's like, the, the thing. Bates... I mean, all, all the way through, there's a, is, is a great story and people, he's a sort of become a yeah. bit of a British folk hero, this bloke who took over this platform exactly. and declared independence. Everyone sort of likes it. And exactly. Thinks it's hilarious. I mean, the other thing I'll say about the government uh, tackling this issue, it's one of those things that lands on your desk and every, every civil servant's like, Oh, Jesus Christ, how are we going to do this? And they say, oh, this is a Ministry of Defence matter. This isn't the Home yes. Office, you know. And they pass it's it over to around. you. And somebody's going past around Whitehall saying, oh, shit, what are we going This is like a pain yeah. in the neck. I don't have to shoot some 14-year-old kid about some pointless platform. And I think there's exactly. a certain amount of 
he was a harmless eccentric. So there's a certain amount yeah. of the attitude. I mean, if this had been France, they would have had the riot police and shot him dead, you know. Or the yeah. Americans would have done, stormed yeah. it with the <laughs> Marines, the Blue Berets. But in Britain, it was like, oh, this chap's a bit of a character, isn't he? What are we going to do about this? Well, it's a softy, oh, softy. There'd be know. a lot of paperwork, yes, wouldn't yes, it? Let's yes. just leave him let's, be. Let's leave sleeping you know. dogs lie, you know. So, yeah. And I think part of the problem they genuinely did have was it was a really big legal problem to work out whether they had any jurisdiction. Yeah. They, they just couldn't be sure. So they were just going to leave him there. And then something happened. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, Trinity House, they were a company contracted by the government to look after these various naval installations. And about 700 feet from sea land, there were these two boys in the water, as in not B-U-O-Y-S. Not, not two boys young yeah. boys two boys and these boys were filled with fuel and that fuel would need replenishing every okay. now and then and it was trinity house that was one of their jobs was to do it and they had this boat this ship called the vestal that they would go out and they would refill these boys with fuel and um, and what would happen the ship would go out and then these men were lowered from the ship into boats to go and do the work now one day they were out there doing that like i say 700 feet from Sealand. Yeah. And Penny Bates, young Penny Bates, who's a teenager, yeah. is sunbathing on the platform. Right. So these blokes who are refilling the boys with fuel start giving it all the lewd whistles and comments all and, that. you know, giving, giving it, all, it that. all that, you know. Yeah. So Michael is not happy about it. Michael being the son. Yeah. That's my big sister. Penny. That's my big sister. You're Exactly. So he did what he does, Michael. He shouted at them, screamed at them, and fired a few warning shots. Okay. You know, just so he fires these warning shots into the water quite near the boat, and one of them hits this boy while one of the guys is on it, right? Yeah, so, so could have Trinity him, House, really. the company, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they go, well, fuck that. We're not going out there anymore without naval escort. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, like that's we, dangerous. The tower is guarded by Princess Joan. And young um, Crown Princess Henny, everyone in Essex is taking the piss out of these guys because they need naval protection from two women, is what how they perceived it back then. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. like, well, you you need the navy to protect you from some teenage girl with a beret and a couple of pistols. <laughs> so there was lots of joshing in the pubs of Essex about this. But they had violated a firearms act with all these guns and stuff, hadn't they? Absolutely, they violated the 1937 Firearms Act. So the British authorities, like, ah. Get them on that. That's something we can get them with here. Yeah. Right. So they told them that if they came to shore, they'd be arrested. Now, of course, they do have to go to shore every now and then to get yeah. supplies or whatever. So they knew they couldn't avoid it. So sure enough, the next time they went to shore, Roy and Michael are arrested. But their lawyer argues that the Crown has no jurisdiction over the fort, right? Yeah. Because it being six nautical miles away yeah. from the coast. So the court was adjourned for six weeks while well, they tried to work this out, and it was bumped oh, up to the Central Criminal Assizes Court in Chelmsford, which is sort of the precursor. That's to one the of the Crown great courts of the world, Angela, isn't it? The Chelmsford Absolutely. Assizes Court. That's, <laughs> it's like the Hague, it's like Nuremberg and Chelmsford Assizes. Long story short, at the end of this case, the judge, Justice Chapman, he ruled that the government couldn't have jurisdiction over Sealand. Wow. So that's basically um, the British law saying yeah. it's not part of Britain. So then his independence Absolutely. is given credence. You know. Now, the wording of the judge's statement is still to this day questioned because right. what he said was they could have had jurisdiction over Sealand, but because they hadn't exercised it, right. they didn't. So right. it's okay. something they could have put into, but they didn't. So as far as Roy Bates is concerned, this is a judge, an yeah. actual judge saying Sealand is not in British jurisdiction. Right, so it's like Which is all he wanted to hear, right? Yeah. That sounds like recognition to me. Yeah. Eventually, the authorities met to discuss whether to appeal this decision. But again, like you said before, it's decided Roy's not really doing any harm. And actually... Apart from shooting at our guys. Apart from (laughs) shooting at the Navy. (laughs) Who's not done that? (laughs) We've all done Um, it, Angela. And they said, actually, if we start an appeal, that's going to be a whole thing. And all he's going to do is draw more attention to his cause. Because remember, the the public are on his side. Yeah, yeah. So they've they've lost the PR war. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. they decide just to leave it. Um, now, Roy consistently turns down offers to buy it. He has loads of people offer to buy Sealand, including, I think, Gaddafi at some point <laughs> wanted oh, to great. buy now, then it. They might have got a bit concerned. 
If Gaddafi they might have got thought that this is less less funny than it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, suddenly. I mean, they ploughed all the family's money into it. Uh, in fact, to the point where Michael, his home in Essex, eventually had to be repossessed. Right, the son. Who right. had a house yeah. in Essex. But Roy always felt that any hardship they had was temporary because he had these big ideas, right? And right. commercial enterprise is going to come to Sealand eventually. Yeah. Now, in order to give it some... Um, sort of credence, what, yeah. Credence, yeah. There, there are certain things that are kind of symbols of statehood. Right? Yeah. So, for example, stamps. Okay. If you're going to be a country, you need your own stamps. Right? stamps. So in September yeah. 1969, they get their first stamps designed. They're designed and printed by a Belgian chap called Christian Hash. Have you and got he... any of these stamps, Angela? Do you know, I have, John. I ordered some. I'm, I'm showing them to John on Zoom now. I will tweet a picture of them, but aren't they They're pretty? They're beautiful. They're lovely. Yeah, look They're at the really sun. Pretty. It's like I'm... sun rising over sea land. It looks a bit Stonehenge-y, doesn't it? Does, it does, yeah, yeah. I'm, um, I've got a sheet of the stamps. I'm going to frame them because I think they're so pretty. Yeah. But anyway, so the idea was this, this Belgian guy, he would be made postmaster general. Okay. And he would take the post from Sealand by helicopter to Belgium to sort of put it into the postal system. Yeah. Um, because a functional postal system, that reinforces the status of a country. Yeah, exactly. If someone right, acknowledges if it, it and if, if a country's national postal system posts the letter, it's like another rubber stamp of approval, isn't it? Exactly. Now, these original stamps had famous explorers on them. So you had oh, Christopher yes. Columbus, Walter Raleigh, Francis Drake, Captain Cook. Unfortunately, though, John, uh, UK and Belgian Post both refused to recognise the stamps and returned them back to Sealand. Oh. So when you say back to Sealand, the postman didn't row out to the... the, the... Oh, no, no. <laughs> the Ipswich Post Office right. had an official Sealand address. Okay, they had a little Which is box. Sealand post bag IP119SZ. So okay, so did they have a currency? They, they, well, John, yes, because you need a currency. Don't you? So the first Sealand coins were issued in 1972. Uh, the denomination was Sealand dollars. Uh, they were written as like SX with a dollar sign. And they were valued as one-to-one with the United States dollar, okay. just to keep things easy. Yeah, yeah, that's nice and easy to track. So the United States, again, I hope we keep parity with the Sealand dollar. I hope we don't, I hope yeah. we don't slip behind their economy. <laughs> now, Roy Bates had various approaches for business ideas for the tower. I mentioned Gaddafi offered him a, quote, pot of gold to use the okay. tower for undisclosed reasons, John. Okay, okay. Holiday home, I'm sure. I can't sure. imagine what they might be. I imagine a holiday home, yeah. There was an American church who wanted to use it to beam religious programming to Russia. Okay. Um, but then Roy got wind that it was actually a front for the CIA. So he this refused. Always, this like, is I don't want the Russians breathing down my neck. Don't, don't you find uh, this happens? It's like, John, can we use your house for Russian broadcasting? Oh, it's the CIA. Oh, not again. Now, John, Roy finally finds the ideal business partners. Right. The Germans. Okay. Right. Now, Germans. this is important because this is where things go proper batshit. Okay, because it's all been very sensible up to this point. So there's a gentleman called Alexander Achenbach. Now, okay. he said he used to work for the CIA, smuggling people across the East German border. Nobody can really trust anything he says. He's a con man. Now, he only actually visited Sealand once ever, but he became the Minister of Foreign Affairs... Oh, for Sealand. And eventually, for Sealand. Right. And eventually the Prime Minister. <laughs> okay. So they went into partnership. There was a couple of Dutch blokes and some other German blokes led by this Alexander Achenbach. And they go into partnership with Roy because they tell Roy they've got these contacts with other states that they could start building relations and get business going with other countries, right? Okay. As Minister of Foreign Affairs, Alexander Achenbach begins approaching various governments about doing business on Sealand. Okay. okay. And he also helped draft Sealand's constitution, uh, okay. which was a 23 article document based on British common law that the principality still uses to this day. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Okay. What happened to these guys then? Do they live on well, board or do they travel around Europe or what? They didn't live on board. They traveled around Europe. They were, John, possibly not as trustworthy as Roy Bates had originally hoped. Okay. Uh, they were arrested in Luxembourg in 1975 for engaging in fraudulent business based in an imaginary country. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so it's like, it sounds like Narnia or something, doesn't it? The thing we should say about Roy is he was completely sincere about Sealand's independence. Oh, he didn't think this was a absolutely. scam or a joke. He was completely yeah. believed in it. So when they say imaginary country, that would have really offended him. Really offended him. And, yeah. and so the Germans' idea then was to petition to have the case heard in The Hague, thinking right. that would then get recognition for Sealand. Okay. Right. So Luxembourg, at this point, talked to the British authorities and go... um, this thing over here, do you know anything about that? And the British authorities basically said, 
you're probably best not taking this <laughs> I would, to Don't, don't get involved off. with this bloke. He's a nightmare. I just wouldn't get involved. I just... <laughs> We've had just 10 years of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, as far as Roy Bates was concerned, this was a business venture with these German backing. And they were now going to approach investors for their ideas. So they devise a brochure and they illustrate how Sealand is going to be joined with these other forts. Yeah. And it would become this sort of mini empire with um, money exchanges, post office, duty-free shops, um, I mean, administrative complex, heliports, hotels, apartments, casinos, you know, just the yeah. works. And so they start approaching investors. They wanted to make it a destination place, yeah. you know, to they wanted a whole separate island to provide a green space for guests. It, a bit like Centre Parks, but in the North Sea, yeah, yeah. I think was there. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and obviously a tax haven also. Yeah. So they actually start advertising for investors in newspapers, pamphlets and even on German TV. Wow. <laughs> they get a spot on German TV. So basically this is, now, like, you know, tax free, offshore, do what you want. Doesn't attract the best exactly. sort of people, does it? Roy's trusted these Germans that they are in a legitimate business relationship. In 1978, Alexander Achenbach, the yeah. uh, prime minister of Sealand, Sealand. he oh. instructs a Dutch lawyer to secure ownership of the fort. Right. Wow. So he basically wants to stage a coup over wow. the Bates family. Wow. Now, what he does, he tells the Bates family that he wants to buy it okay. legitimately from them. And he offers them a million Deutschmarks. And they counter that saying, we want a hundred million Deutschmarks. Seems reasonable. So, yeah. <laughs> what Achenbach does is he invites Roy and Joan to Salzburg, where he's yeah. based at that point, to negotiate okay. the deal. Now, the reason he's done that is he's got no intention of negotiating a sale. He knows that by getting Roy and Joan off the fort and to Austria, young Michael's left alone on the fort, their teenage son. Right? Right. Or at this point, Probably he's a bit, a bit older, older now. now. He's, he's in his 20s, 20s now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So while they're in Austria, a helicopter arrives at the fort. Several men winch down. And they show Michael a telex that says his parents have sold the fort and he should hand it over to them, to the Germans. He's like, I'm not having that. And he's like, I don't think that's legit. They end up locking him in a storeroom, Michael, handcuffing him. They let him out the next yeah. day. He tries to put up a fight because he's, you know, he's Michael Bates. Of course he tries to put up a fight. Yeah. But they yeah. end up just bundling him onto a boat and taking him back to shore they dump him in in amsterdam without a passport oh, no, that's right yeah he has so, to make his own sorry, way holland, back that's yeah. right sorry, yes, the yes, netherlands yes. the netherlands sorry. yeah because he has to get back on a <laughs> boat doesn't he that's right yeah he's got no passport identification he just has yeah. to sort of blag his way back to the back to uk South End. yeah not, yeah <laughs> which he does because he's michael bates like i can't imagine the bates is having any problems blagging their way anyway <laughs> so i'm sure at this point his parents were very sympathetic about what happened to poor michael <laughs> well they come back they they get wind that something's not quite right here they come back and they give him shit for not going back to the fort to reclaim it michael on his own right so they get another batch of essex hoodlums yeah. they get them together with sort of pistols shotguns and crowbars yeah. and they think right we'll do another raid on on sealand we're gonna storm back and they have another battle a battle of the platform yeah <laughs> rust tower which essentially they do and they succeed they, they do succeed they do this is where i urge you to read the book because this book goes totally mad and we just don't have time to go into it here but to this day that Prime Minister, <laughs> Alexander Ackerbach and all his cronies, formed a government in exile of Sealand. I still think they're, they're the official government. They get known as the Sealand <laughs> rebel government or the Sealandic rebel government in Germany. And if you look online, if you Google, they've still got a website, yeah. uh, this government in exile, who lay claim to Sealand. But it gets so dark, John, because they actually get involved in a lot of fraud crime and crime and, particularly yeah. in spain in madrid they issue loads and loads and loads of fake sealand passports poor roy and michael are like hang on what's happening what's here we're, we're being cited in this sort of dodgy crime of uh Mussolini's family and stuff mm. and it's like this sealand passports cropping up all over the yeah. place well one of the places it crops up is when gianni versace was murdered in 1997 right. they found a sealand passport in the houseboat where the murderer went and committed suicide afterwards. So they were just involved in lots of dark stuff. They're also very much linked, this government in exile, very much linked to the far right in Germany and to German right. sort of Nazi elements. They also are involved, there's a, a mad conspiracy theory to do with Nazi UFOs and something called Vril, 
which is supposed okay. to be a an, an energy source that we're all being kept from, John. It's 5G. 5G caused the virus, Angela. I'm certain yeah. of it. So if <laughs> on their website, they sell Vril generators okay. on the Government in Exile's website. Right. So this is what Look, I say. I mean, this stuff gets completely a present insane. for Jackie. Little Christmas yeah, present for Jackie idea. <laughs> Write that down. Um, <laughs> but that's a whole tangent. And in the book, there's a whole chapter about the dark... Mirror, they call it. This sort yeah, of yeah, dark side it, yeah. of Sealand, and and you know, people want to. Read... They're victims, really, in this, which is sort of not really how I see them for most of the time. Most of the time, they're swashbuckling entrepreneurs from another age. Really, Absolutely, but at this, they really got scammed, and it was really, yeah. and like you say, the son of Benito Mussolini's former personal secretary. He claims Sealandic citizenship. All sorts of people will think, oh, that'd be quite useful. Like Julian Assange thought maybe I could have a citizenship. That lad who did the uh, hacking of the American military thought maybe he could hide out there when they were Absolutely. threatening to extradite him. Absolutely. So, yeah. so th- there's this sort of dark side to all of that. And it is worth reading that book if you are interested. It's mad. Yeah. Now, in 1987, the government, not because of Sealand, but they did change the rule about... British territorial waters, and they did extend it to, I believe, to 12, 12 miles, nautical yeah. miles. I think this was in line with many other countries. Yeah, so, exactly. So technically, uh, so suddenly, from 1987, yeah, inside, they? they were in British waters. But by that point, I think the government had just gone, just let them have it. Let's just, <laughs> just get on with just it. Let them like, have it. We're not wasting any more time. Yeah, it's not doing any harm, you know. And they they've tried several enterprises on Sealand. They tried to set up as a flag yeah. of convenience for yeah. boats, but that sort of fell through. They got involved with another pirate radio called Sarah. That came back to bite them when this ship in 2010 tried to stage a raid during the. 40 odd years, whatever it is, 50 years. There's been, you know, lots of attempts to take it over and raids right up to recently. Everyone loves it as a thing. And it's sort of, everyone sort of, sort of is full of admiration for this crazy, this crazy self-proclaimed country. And every now and then it has these sort of new little business ventures. In the early 2000s, cypherpunks took it over for a bit. And there was a company called Haven Co. Their idea was to host a no questions asked web hosting and data storage they, yeah. they, they were this bunch of ardent libertarians, basically, and they wanted to let political distance pornographers, whatever, could use these data havens without any fear of being censored. Um, and they got there and they saw that they had sort of like one extension cable and a sort of you know, <laughs> old laptop. And it's like, this isn't quite the data hub we're anticipating. <laughs> there was a real clash between these sort of data geeks, these American Silicon Valley yeah. data geeks that turn up and these hard nosed. Yeah. Essex Essex family that didn't really get it. And I think the data geeks sort of manipulated them to a point until then Roy Bates got his own technical advisor in because he realised he didn't really get it because they tried to get him to do a a cryptocurrency and and his advisor went, no, don't do that because that can be used to launder money and things. And They drew the line at child pornography and trafficking and things like that. They did have some... Some, Some morals, morals about it. All. <laughs> um, Libertarianism doesn't go that yeah. far, but it didn't work out in the end anyway, and they they sort of left. I I love while I was reading about this. Did you read just as a little aside about the ideas that these libertarians had for for sort of data havens? Some of them are great. There's, did you read about the toxic barge? They thought they'd oh, yeah, build yeah. a data haven on top of a barge full of toxic waste material, send it out to sea, and no one's going to want to. Storm, storm it or it take it because then, then they've got to have the toxic bar exactly. yeah they've got to have the toxic waste amazing Crazy. um in 2006 there was a massive fire yes on Sealand. and that yeah and that nearly finished them off didn't it because it's uh, yeah. michael sort of put his head in his hands looked at the damage it's like estimated at half a million yeah. pounds and i think i think at that point he was thinking is it worth well, it? Do, is it worth it you know dad was very old and michael was responsible for it now this son who'd grown up with this mm. thing that his dad had sort of bequeathed him yeah because he's now the prince How, regent I, they handed over to him didn't they yeah, when they got a bit too was old prince Re- even though he's prince regent he was going is it worth having this rusting bloody platform in the north sea mm. but what they did do was uh they joined the Nouvelle Federation Board or NF Board, which is an organisation of football countries, uh, not recognised by FIFA. Mm-hmm. That's an organisation of like 25 teams representing everywhere from Darfur to Chechnya to the Romani people. And uh, they have tournaments. They have tournaments yeah. of World Cup of countries that um, haven't been recognised by the United Nations or FIFA. That's so brilliant. Ralph Little... Ralph Little played in the game for Sealand. Yeah. I play I play with Ralph Little every week. Do you? I, I, yeah, he's a good footballer, actually. Yeah. So, But I've now played with an international. There you go. <laughs> we have an international playing for the Strollers. Have you, have you spoken to Ralph since you 
I suppose no, I haven't seen him because he hasn't been coming to our he hasn't been coming to our COVID games. But yeah. um, no, I'll have to ask him about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Presumably they play in the red, white, and black of Sealand. I wonder and, if he's um, ever been there. I don't know. I think he probably just went down some field in Surrey and yeah. had a kickabout. But then they have an awards committee and they uh, mm. they make money now. Yeah, they do. I mean, they they've got an anthem, John. In 2012, they yep. got an anthem. Uh, Basil Simonenko composed them an anthem. It lasts um, one minute, 21 seconds. Um, I might try and find it and maybe we can play, we out, play out with out it if it. we can. Yeah, like, yeah. If, I'll see if I can find it. You mentioned the Sealand Award Committee, which confers annual oh, yeah, awards yeah. to the Principality's favourite movies, athletes and music. In the mid-2000s, they awarded the Sealand Peace Prize to Nelson Mandela. And he must have been chuffed with that. He must have been. <laughs> and they also bestowed a Lifetime Achievement Award to Homer J. Simpson. <laughs> okay. For being well, one of the greatest comedic cre- creations of modern times, which I think is rather Fantastic. lovely. Fantastic. Sealand did go up for sale through a Spanish real estate agency. The asking price was 750 million euros. Uh, no buyers, John, surprisingly. Oh. Roy and Joan passed away. Uh, okay. By 2010, Roy already had Alzheimer's and had returned to Leon right. C. And I love the quote he said at that point. He said, I might die young. I might die old, but I'll never die of boredom. Which well, I, I think is a fair assessment. It's kept us entertained for an hour. So. It really has. Now, John, they do have a website, Sealand, and on their website, yeah. there is a way they make money. They sell stamps, like the beautiful stamps yes. that I bought. But also, you can buy a lordship for yourself. You could become that's, a duke. That's you, you can buy. Um, now, that's you can buy a lordship. Your lordship, John. Your lordship. Because Angela has bought me a lordship of Sealand. She has made me a lord. I ter- after all the titles I've turned down from the British government, the knighthoods, the OBEs. <laughs> but I've, I've said, no, I don't agree with all that, guys. I don't want all your fancy gongs. But from, from Angela, yes, I am now a lord of Sealand. I have, I'm very proud. I, I sent John as a surprise. I made him a Lord of Sealand. And so the, the documentation, the paperwork, which he will tweet a photo of, was sent to his house. And when John phoned me up to thank me for making him a Lord of Sealand, I could hear his daughter's boyfriend in the background going, you've created a monster. <laughs> it will never hear the end of this. <laughs> Angela, what have you done? <laughs> it's a beautiful document. It's got all embossed and, you know, gold lettering. And it's got like a seal on it. And it's on the mantelpiece now, and I'm Lord, I'm Lord John O'Farrell of Sealand. And you keep good company. Do you know who else is a Lord of Sealand? Was it uh, Ed Sheeran? Ed Sheeran is a Lord of Sealand. So me, so. me and Ed, we're Lord of, so anyone could be a Lord of Sealand, actually. I don't I hope you didn't spend too much money on it, it, it's a cracking joke. Really, wasn't that much money, John? I, I okay, you, you okay. can for a bit more money, you could have been a duke, but I, I, no, I think Lord. I feels think Lord's better. better. Lord. Yeah, I might, Lord I might try and go and vote in the House of Lords and see what happens. <laughs> you probably wouldn't notice. <laughs> I think we'll round up by saying, do look at their website. It's brilliant. There yeah. is also a book you can buy um, that is written by Michael Bates, the son. Yes. Um, called Holding the Fort. And okay, very good. I think they do have some presence on social media. I know they get, I just want to <laughs> they get a lot of shit on social media. This made me laugh from activists who think they're SeaWorld and that they're torturing <laughs> orcas and things. So right. um, they're oh, not no. SeaWorld, they're Sealand. But they are on Twitter, aren't they? We should probably tweet, lick them in. To this, oh, we you definitely know, will, them. yeah. And yeah, the story's yeah. so yeah. mad. And, you know, despite the, the dark side of it and the sort of violence. Yeah. And, but the and... thing I'll say is he declared himself a Prince Roy and Princess Joan. And they're just a family from Essex. Yeah. But our royal family is just a family from Hanover. And it's just it's just time. Yeah. It's all it is. It's they've been around for ages. And if Roy and Joan and their family kept it going for 500 years, yeah. who's to say they're any different from the royal family of Monaco or the yeah. royal family of the Netherlands? It's just it's just time and it you know, is. It's muscle. Absolutely. I do. It's quite interesting hearing the grandchildren speak. So Michael has two yeah. sons and hearing them speak, you know, one of them saying his now wife when they first started going out, you know, it's like, oh, by the way, I'm yeah. I'm a prince. You know, what are you talking about? You know, if you marry me, you'll be a princess. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> this yeah. man's mad. <laughs> you know, but all the all the royalty we have now, they they just went yeah. in with some crowbars and some muscle and yeah, it's no took over, is it? you know, took over Wessex or took over you yeah, know, yeah. Jutland or whatever. And that's 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 where we have these people with money and power now. So yeah. sort of raise a raise a cup of tea to the Bates family and their Cheers. intrepid individualism on uh, on uh, Sealand. Probably better that they stay on Sealand and rather moving next door to me. But... <laughs> 
but snob joke. they certainly kept the tabloids entertained for decades on end. And it was always a regular feature, I remember, on John Craven's news round in my childhood, this bloke on Sealand. So that's where I remember it from. And, uh, and yeah, if anyone eccentrics. from Sealand is listening and you want to invite yeah. me to come and have a look, I bloody love that. Oh, go for it, Angela. You'd love bloody it. Bloody yeah, love that. Maybe we should get married on it. Oh, sure, we've booked our wedding now. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> She's talking about her fiancé, not me. Yeah, no, I'm not marrying uh, John. Let's not start that rumour. <laughs> Although then I'd be a lady, all. wouldn't I, if I married you now? You, um, it's too late, actually. Ah, you've already got married. Lady Jackie, Jackie O'Farrell. Lady Jackie of Sealand is already there. <laughs> I think that's all from this episode. Of, um, fun. of uh, uh, We Are History. Did you We've forget what we were live. called then, John? I did, I did. We've come to you live from the North Sea. We're here in Sealand. <laughs> uh, but we'll be back on mainland. <laughs> I think they're buying it, John. I think they are. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Thank you uh, very much. And don't forget us, to yeah, tweet us at yeah, We Are History Pod. And give us um, yeah. lovely five-star yeah, reviews. That would be very nice. We won't go nice. on about that too much. We but won't, you know but it's nice to get them. Makes us feel Thank validated. You. <laughs> Thanks for your feedback. Cheers. See you next time. Bye.